Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Our text for today is from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. God, as we just read, your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. God, we ask you this morning that you would lead us into worship, that you would remove the distractions and the busyness in our minds and fix our hearts on you. God, increase our faith that we might know this morning that we are loved with an unshakable, never-changing love. And we ask that that love would compel us to honor you with our lives to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. All right, good morning. Everybody doing good today? You got an extra hour of sleep? I feel like I got an extra hour and I was more tired when I woke up. It was a very weird phenomenon, but we'll make it through. Uh, it's good to be here. As I, you probably know, if you didn't know, you kind of get it now that we're beginning this four-week series on family discipleship. We're going to focus in on the text from Deuteronomy uh, that Lauren just read for us. But before we really get into the meat of the series, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork for the coming weeks. Because if we're going to seek God's wisdom for how we interact in and with our families, there are a few things that we need to be clear on. First off, the reason we have a series on family discipleship at all is because I believe and, and we believe that there is one God who created everything that exists and who has revealed himself to us in his word. And as we see in his word, God created everything that exists for two primary ends. The first is the glory of his name. And the second is the joy of his people. God created us for his glory and our joy. And it is in his word that he has revealed to us how we are to live so that he gets the glory and we experience the joy. 
And when we submit to God's plan, when we pursue his glory through the obedience of faith, when we say, you're God and I'm not, when we seek first his kingdom over our own little kingdoms, there is joy promised to us. And hear me when I say this, when we talk about joy, I'm not talking about the fleeting joy of getting everything that we want in life, right? Money, power, success, respect. God loves us way too much to give us everything we desire, right? He loves us way too much. And if you're a parent, or if you had a parent, you get that, right? Ramen noodles, it's not breakfast food. You could probably argue it's not food at all. But I have a kid or two that would eat that stuff for every meal if we let them. We don't. And there's nothing inherently wrong with ramen nor the fact that my children desire it at times. But our job as parents is to help them desire greater things to seek after things that will truly satisfy and sustain life. Yes, ramen may be good, but so is living past the age of 25. That's good too. That's the kind of wisdom that we have as parents. Our kids don't see it, but we've got that. And in the same way, God wants more for us than we would sometimes choose or chase. God created us for a purpose. He created us to love and worship and obey him as our perfect father. And when we walk in the presence of God and submit to his design for our lives, we're living as we were created to live. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. That's what we want. It doesn't mean that when we submit to God's way, there won't be struggles and trials in life. It doesn't mean we won't willingly abstain from some good things and press into some hard situations. But we don't endure these things out of duty or some sadistic enjoyment of suffering, but because we desire something infinitely better than the immediate, something greater than the shallow promises of the world. What God has called us to and how he has called us to live is what is best for us, for his glory and for our joy. And when we rebel against that, when we think we know better than God and go our own way, destruction always follows. It may not come immediately, not this week or this month or even this year, but to reject God's design and instruction for our lives is to cultivate destruction. And so when we talk about family discipleship, we're talking about how God designed things to work in our families. And when we submit to God's design, it cultivates health. So from the outset of this series, we have to realize that God is sovereign over our lives. And as our loving father, he not only sacrificed his son to purchase our redemption, but he has made known to us the path of life. 
He's made it known. And our call as believers is to walk faithfully before our God and to seek his wisdom in the way we lead and love inside of our families. And then secondly, before we get into the text that we're going to spend the next four weeks in, I want to cast the net a bit, a bit wider than just parents with kids who are still at home. Because I know when we talk about family discipleship, there's about a third of the people in this room that could say, I don't fit the mold. I don't have kids or my kids are grown up, so I get to check out. I get to sleep through this. But that's not the case. I mean, you can sleep if you want, but I'd encourage you not to because it's awkward. Look what Paul says to believers in Galatians 6, verse 10. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of God. Then again in Ephesians 2.19, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the word family doesn't simply represent the people who live under your roof. Family is a picture of God's redemptive purposes in the world. He has united a people through the blood of Christ into one eternal family, and he is this family's father. We are the household of God. And so, if you're single or kidless or your kids have grown up and moved away and you walked in here this morning thinking that you don't have children, you are mistaken. Or maybe you never knew your mom or dad, they passed away early, and you think you don't have parents. You are mistaken once again. If you're a covenant member of this church, there are close to 100 children with more on the way. Children with whom you have covenanted before God to walk alongside, to love and disciple and pray for. And I hope you don't take that responsibility lightly. You have a lot of kids, more than the Ratliffs. <laughs> and if you're not sure what that looks like for you, I get it, that can be weird. I can tell you there are men and women who pick up my kids on occasion and they talk through scripture or they read a book together or they just hang out. And our kids love that. They value that. And we do as well. Because having older people other than mom and dad in their lives who love Jesus and are willing to invest in them is huge. Because mom and dad aren't cool. Right? We say something, they don't listen. You say it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's the most amazing and wise thing I've ever heard. Right? It's annoying, but we'll take it. And there's not a parent in this room who wouldn't appreciate people pouring into the lives of their kids or their lives, right? Like, I'm 44. My parents are still here. I'm like a kid to them. So I could be your kid too. That's cool. And we see this with our volunteers, right? We've got so many people not in here because they're with your children. This morning and this evening in youth group, all the things engaging the, the hearts of our children. It is such a blessing to the kids. And I pray that we would see more and more of that happening. So I will be talking directly to parents at times during this series. But there are very few places along this journey where you cannot come alongside those parents 
or these kids and support what God is doing in our family. You have an important role to play when it comes to discipleship, if you're willing, and I pray that you are. And so finally, I'll say a word to parents, right? The preface. It's not all about the parents. Now I'm going to say something to parents. I want to be really clear from the outset that the purpose here of talking about family discipleship is not to guilt you, right? Say we're talking about discipleship. You already feel guilty. I know. Parenting is hard. It feels impossible. There's days where you feel like you're trying to herd a pack of wild dogs. It's true. Doing everything you can just to survive. And you wonder to yourself, like, what have I done? What have I done? And there are those days where you just, like, you snapped, right? You lost it. You went crazy. You got angry. You locked yourself in the bathroom with a half gallon of Bluebell. Yeah? But not even Bluebell could remove the feeling that you have somehow ruined your children. I've heard it. Not going to ask for a show of hands, but you're not alone. You might be in the bathroom, but in general, you're not alone in those feelings. And hear me when I say this, you have ruined nothing. You've ruined nothing. Yes, you may have snapped. You may have said things you wish you hadn't. You may have punished more harshly than was needed, but you've ruined nothing. Today is a new day, and God's mercies are new every morning. And your sin is a glorious opportunity to model repentance to your children. Because what your children need more than perfect parents are parents who point them to a perfect and loving God. Humble, repentant, faithful parents who own their failures but find their identity in Christ. Who know that it is by grace through faith that they have been saved, not by their parental accomplishments or perfection. So, my hope is not to guilt you, but to encourage your hearts with the truth of the gospel, that the overflow of your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit might result in a family that shines the light of Jesus into this world. So with that said, I want to dive into our text in Deuteronomy 6. We're going to be here for the next several weeks, so don't be worried about the fact that we're 15 minutes in and I just finished the intro, right? We got plenty of time. We'll be out by three. So this section of Deuteronomy 6 is called the Shema. And for the Jews, this was how education was supposed to work, how they were to teach the works of God to the next generation, or more simply, it was about discipleship inside of the family. And as we read through this text over the next few weeks, I want to highlight three concentric circles. You know what those are? Like little circle in the middle and then another one and another one. So three circles that kind of describe how family discipleship works in this text, beginning with the very center circle, which is our heart, then moving out into how we teach inside of our families, and then finally the outward ministry of our families when all of these things are working together. So that's where we're going. We'll read the text one more time, Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse for it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the first sentence of the Shema really sets the tone for us. It's this theologically rich and profound sentence about the unity in the Godhead. We're not going to unpack this today, but it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So before we even talk about discipleship, before we even dive into these concentric circles, we need to understand that the one and only true God, the God of the universe, is the subject of discipleship at every level. He is the point. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And from there, it starts with circle one of three concentric circles. It says, you, like this is great, okay, we're discipling kids, that's the whole idea, our family, and it starts with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and these words I command you shall be on your hearts. You see what God just did there? The foundation the nucleus, the starting point of discipleship in our families, or really discipleship anywhere, is you and me loving the Lord with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might. It's crazy, right? There's no greater gift that you can give to your children, no lesson that will impact them more than to model a life of love, a life laid down for the glory of God to pursue holiness and faithfulness and righteousness in every area of your life. And if we neglect this, if, the, if we think we can jump straight to rules and structure and discipleship workbooks for our kids, we've missed the point. We need to teach these things diligently to our children. That comes next. That's the second circle. We're going to pass on information and some commandments and some warnings, but that's not where God starts. He didn't say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now here's the code that you must submit to in order to teach the next generation how to be my people, right? Here's the rules. The rules, the rules will come. Obedience is crucial, but that's not where he starts. He starts with love. He starts with love. And why? Why does he start with love? Because God designed us as human beings not to be motivated by what we know. We're motivated by what we love. That's why you order what you do when you go to the restaurant, right? It's true. I know the Garden Fresh salad is probably going to make me live longer but I love bacon. I love bacon a lot. I'm gonna get a bacon cheeseburger, nine times out of 10, because I love it. If I was gonna have a salad, I wouldn't pay 12 bucks for it. I'd go to H-E-B and get a bag of grass. 
This is why your kids can be so incredibly disciplined and patient and detail-oriented when they're building their little Star Wars Lego, Lego kingdoms, right? It's unbelievable. You don't see them for hours. But when you ask them to walk out into the yard and pick up the toys, the wheels come off. One's angry, one's crying, and one acts as though they've been so malnourished by you that they don't have the strength to carry their own body weight outside, much less pick something up off the ground, because you're a horrible parent. You haven't fed them in months. And that's only three. The fourth one is actually Lord of the Universe, and they just ignore you altogether. In God's sovereign wisdom, he designed us to be motivated by what we love. And I can't help but think about what the church would look like if parents and children alike, driven by love, pursued God with the same fervency and discipline that we often pursue other things. You can fill in the other part. And so discipleship is not first and foremost about modifying actions. It's about shepherding hearts. This isn't just family discipleship. This is all discipleship. It's about pointing our children or friends or neighbors or strangers to the greatness of God and cultivating a love for him. And the result of a deep love for God will always be actions that honor him. That's how it works. And here's the sticking point, parents or grandparents or legal adults or anyone who leads anything ever. The sticking point is that this life can't simply be taught. We can't just tell people about it. It has to be modeled. We have to model it, which is why our text begins with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart before we talk about what you're going to teach to other people. So how do you raise kids or disciple people to be passionate about God? How do we do that? Maybe we model the joy that loving God brings. Maybe we model a life of faithfully pursuing Jesus. Maybe our existence in the home just seeps with contentment in the Lord, not discontentment. Maybe we're constantly telling them how awesome our God is. Jesus didn't roll around saying, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Got some more wonderful nuggets of wisdom for you to memorize, right? That's, that's not what he did. He said, follow me, follow me. Watch me, see how I live and love and serve and imitate me. Discipleship isn't something we just tell others. It is something that is embodied. And so the natural question is, how do we do this? How do we cultivate this love in our own hearts? And scripture points to a multitude of ways, but there are certain pieces that are always present. If we desire to cultivate a love for God in our lives, then we're going to be people that press into God's word, right? We love God. We, we want to hear what he has to say. Seems pretty basic. We're going to desire to hear from God, and we're going to seek him in prayer. 
We're going to come into his presence. We're going to talk to him. And when we diligently seek after God in scripture and prayer and through the fellowship of the community of faith, we will experience the presence of God. As Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is not just checking boxes of reading and praying, but steeping in the word of God is a source of life. It is growing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the foundation of discipleship. It's setting our minds on the things of God and longing to honor him with our lives. And this is all rooted in faith. It's rooted in the belief that God is who he says he is and that his way is better than our own. It's believing with all our hearts that what God has promised is greater than the things this world promises. As we read in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We must believe him. Actions, once again, they're, they're important. But Jesus made abundantly clear in his Sermon on the Mount that true righteousness begins with a transformed heart. He then talked about actions a lot, but actions in and of themselves cannot save. They must come from a heart that treasures Christ above all else. And if we don't grasp this as parents, how do we disciple our children, right? If our Parenting is not saturated with a love for God and marked by the grace we have experienced in Christ, then what are we expecting from our children? It's so easy as parents to look at behavior modification as the Holy Grail. To think that if our kids are respectful and obedient and kind, then we've succeeded, right? And amongst our friends, maybe we have. From a worldly perspective, that's a win. When our kids say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please, and thank you, it's easy to think that we're nailing it as parents. But all we've really done is moralized our children. Right? We want our kids to obey. That's, that's a good thing. Respectful children is a tremendous blessing. But if the God of the Bible is true, that in and of itself is not a win. It's not ultimately a victory for you to have upright, moral kids who are really respectful if we have not cultivated a love for Jesus, which is the way to true life, which is what we want for our children. That's what I want for my children, the fullest life possible. And that life is found in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found in sports. It's not found in academics or achievements or the praise of others. We can't talk about discipleship if we're not talking about cultivating a heart that loves Jesus Christ. If you want to just modify your kid's behavior, there are books that will teach you that, right? Pavlov's dog, like feed them, pay them, you can get them to do whatever. But we want more for our children. So I'll let you in on a little secret. We're, we're talking about discipleship, obviously. This is one of the good news, bad news things. 
Like, we're going to talk a lot about discipling our kids over the next few weeks, and we're going to think about ways that we can disciple and how we can disciple better. But the secret is you're discipling your kids right now, right? In this moment, in every moment, you are discipling. There's no way to get around it. You are making disciples already. The only question is, what kind? What are you discipling them in? What am I discipling my kids in? And this isn't isolated to parents. If you are a follower of Christ, your life is modeling for the children in this church and the adults in this church and the people you work with what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a woman of God. You are telling them with your life. They are watching you, they are listening to you, and they are learning from you. So if we want to talk about discipleship, before we get to the do's and don'ts, before we get to teaching them diligently, I think we have to ask ourselves a really simple question, something maybe to ponder this week. What is the way I live proclaim about what I love most? What is the way I live proclaim about what I love most? And keep in mind, you could write it down wrong. I didn't say, what is what I say, right? But rather, what do I model? What is seen through the way I live? What is the way I spend my time and money? The things I talk about most often. What do those things say about the greatest treasure in my life? And this gets more complicated when you have kids, right? Because what we think and talk about as parents can quickly move from our hobbies and our desires and our passions to being totally consumed by the hobbies and activities of our children, particularly here in the suburbs. Parents can so easily become slaves to the activities of our kids, all in the hope that our kids will get the scholarship, win the award, make the team, get the job, be tremendously successful in life because we know that that's what's going to bring them joy, right? No? Good answer. I know I'm, you call it treading on thin ice? I understand. I got the microphone. Uh, Here's the thing. Your kids are not always going to make good decisions. They're children, right? You understand that. They're kids, that's... You say, like, you're being childish. That's not a compliment, right? No offense, kids, but you're kids. And they're not going to make good decisions about time management. They're not going to make good decisions about what they pursue in life. They're just not. Everything in this world is going to tell them to find their identity in what they do or how they look. That success in sports or business or having all the right friends is what's going to bring them joy. That's why they need you, to point them to something greater than sports, greater than achievement, greater than being cool, to speak truth into those lives, lies, to parent them and disciple them and to make the hard choices that they will not make because they're childish in hopes that one day, by the grace of God, they will desire greater things. But sometimes right now, they're just not going to, just like you didn't back then. 
But our hope is that they will eventually pursue Christ above all else. But it all begins with us asking ourselves, what is it that I love most? What is it that I want for my family? And then taking an honest look at our life and see if what we're proclaiming we want lines up with the reality of how we are living. As I said earlier, I'm not here to guilt anybody. That's not my intention, but we need to realize that our kids are going to learn infinitely more from what we do and how we lead than they ever will from what we say. That's why God began the text in the way that he did, right? We are to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mights. And if we begin here, if we let our love for God be the constant in our family, if we guard our children from the deception of worldly success and the approval of others and model for them a love for Jesus, we will set them up to experience a hope and joy that is far greater than anything this world has to offer. Once again, there is no greater gift that we can give our children than to model a life laid down for the glory of God to live as a people who love God with all our heart and soul and might. And honestly, if we, if we get this, everything else we're going to talk about for the rest of the series is so easy. If we get this, everything's easy. So let me just close out with some encouragement from Paul. Romans chapter 15, verse 3. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again that your mercies are new every morning. Because parenting is hard, discipleship is hard, Walking faithfully before you is hard, and we need these new mercies every day. God, we know we will stumble and we will fall along the way, but I pray that as we do, we would continually look to you, turning and trusting once again. God, that our imperfections as parents and grandparents and friends would move us to repentance and joy and worship, knowing that your love is not a product of our actions, but Christ's actions on our behalf. And we know that your power is perfected in our weakness when we humble ourselves before you. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.